Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. Back again, it's me, Chris. I'm here with Patrick. Hello. I'm here with Steven. Hi. And uh, this week, we uh, took a little trip to England to watch the uh, 2018, I believe, film Await Further Instructions. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, you know, we like to do a little horror catch-up here on every horror movie on Netflix, talk about things besides what's on Netflix. Uh, so what's been going on, guys? You uh, Have you watched or read or played or, or looked up or Googled or... Or, or heard any spooky stories in the last couple of weeks or done anything horrifying in real life well i'm always doing something horrifying in real I mean, life but. just a, just asking for a friend <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're just past valentine's day uh much past it now that this recording is coming out and uh you know it, it could have been a lonely sad single valentine's day for me but me and my cat decided to revisit the classic canadian horror film my bloody valentine i picked up the screen mm. factory blue hadn't seen it since high school had never seen the uncut version with as much of the restored gore as Scream Factory could find uh, shoehorned back into this thing. Have you guys seen this movie before? No, I I almost went to go see it masked in a movie theater over Valentine's weekend, but ended up doing other things and deciding not to go risk covid to see it but i i'm really curious about it i mean if there's one movie to to see while wearing a gas mask it's gotta be <laughs> my bloody valentine <laughs> um i i did see it. i saw it on ifc like back when ifc was cool and mm-hmm. uh i was probably in high school or shortly after high school at that time and uh i i liked it i liked it a lot and it made an impression on me in fact it's largely influential to pizza face killer i knew it i fucking knew it <laughs> while i was it? watching it i was like this movie has such big chris energy <laughs> yeah just just the premise of like oh my god they the they they left him behind to go to the valentine's day dance mm-hmm. and uh and he yeah. killed everybody and and now it's years later and and valentine's day has been abolished in the town but some scrappy kids are back to have the valentine's dance again even though the old crotchety man in the diner is like your kids are messing with things you don't understand yeah <laughs> and, yeah and the it's killing start hilarious. happening again yeah it's, that's all basically lifted into pizza phase killer yeah it's a fucking i mean it's really entertaining um it seems to kind of know what it is, it, but it doesn't hold back from the horror. But I've got to say, it was a thoroughly depressing experience, especially with the with the inclusion of extra gore. It is just a purely... It's the reason I don't like slashers in general. I think it's the reason Ebert and Roper were... Uh, Ebert and Roper. Siskel and Ebert were dicks about slashers in the 80s because it is just pure nihilism. Pure nihilism. There's like... You don't ever... I've seen slasher movies where you're like the characters are just so like deplorable or they've done bad things or they're annoying. And it's kind of like exciting to see them die in horrific ways. This movie didn't have any of that energy whatsoever. I never wanted to see any of these people die. I certainly didn't want to see the gruesome details when they did. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this one. I have a feeling I'll feel differently when I watch it again in five years, but 
a little too dark for me. Well, if you need someone to hold on to your uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray for five years, just uh, send it on over. <laughs> sure, sure, I can drop it in the mail. What about you, Patrick? You you watch anything? You read anything? What the hell have you been doing? I read a thing, actually, uh, at the recommendation of one of our listeners. Uh, I read Goth, which is a novel by Otsuichi, uh, just the single name, Otsuichi. Uh, and this was actually recommended by a uh, listener, Aiden, uh, who listened to our Death Note episode and had mixed feelings uh, about the Death Note uh franchise but said y'all want to read about creepy kids and serial killers read goth and i just finished it actually just before we started recording here and uh it was damn good it was very creepy some just horrifying shit happens in this book it's about two kids essentially who are obsessed with death and murders and go to visit the sites of uh places where people have been killed and end up getting into all kinds of horrifying things along the way and uh, it just reminded me a lot in many ways of junji ito and some of the really just depraved concepts that he'll drop into his stories uh all told in this just unsettlingly matter of fact uh sort of tone and each chapter is very self-contained it's uh feels very episodic like a series of six or seven short stories but there is definitely an arc to the two main characters and practically every chapter there's sort of a last minute twist that's presented in such uh again matter of fact way that i found myself going back through the story to try and figure out what the fuck had actually happened uh, especially the the final chapter just really blew my mind uh there's quite a twist and uh oh boy good times i mean horrifying times but yeah really enjoyed that so thanks for that wreck aiden I said that really weirdly. Thanks for that rack, Aiden. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What do you got? Uh, I haven't watched anything horror-related except for uh, the uh, Framing Britney Spears documentary, which, you know, is about the horror of our own society and the horror of who we all were in the 2000s. That left an impression on me. It's now the only political cause I care about. Free Britney. <laughs> Uh, but I have to start this episode actually with a correction uh, because last episode oh. I was you know talking too fast and I, I said we were watching a South Korean film and I said that there's no film industry in North Korea. Well, how could I have forgotten that there is film industry in North Korea? It's it's run by the state, but the um, you know Kim Kim Jong Un like uh, Kim Jong Il before him. They're cinephiles. They love the movies, and they've oh. had state-run media in North Korea. And a very interesting story. I'm gonna. I heard about this on This American Life, actually, on NPR, and I will put the link to that in our show notes. Um, there was a acclaimed film director named Shin Sang Ok, who was a South Korean, like, uh, just superstar. He was actually kidnapped by Kim Jong Il along with a a famous movie star who was his ex-wife, actually. And he was kind of held as, like, North Korea's resident filmmaker. Uh, It'd be like if uh, Korea kidnapped Steven Spielberg or something and just made him make (laughs) movies for North Korea. And the, the, the story behind this is absolutely fascinating. I won't get into all the details, but, like, one benefit of being kidnapped by North Korea and forced to make blockbuster movies is by a cinephile is 
budget is not a concern like <laughs> they would make action movies and they'd be like oh you want you want to blow up a bridge you want to blow up a train with the bridge here it is <laughs> like um really interesting stuff so i'll i'll, I'll post a link to some further uh research on that but I, I had to correct myself from saying that they don't make movies in north korea because they make badass movies in north korea <laughs> now i want to see one yeah and when you see those those bodies going down with the bridge, that ain't CGI, man. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, they do it live. I, I, I'm sure if he wanted it, yeah. Damn! Um, wow, that's fascinating. I, I'm curious to check out that story, Chris. Really fascinating stuff. All right, well, what the hell did we watch this week, guys? We watched uh, "Await Further Instructions," which the Wheel of Death chose for us. It's a very this is this is the kind of movie the wheel would pick for us. I think. <laughs> it kind of is. our mechanical overlord. <laughs> and 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 kind of a interesting um companion piece to hashtag alive, yes. which we watched last time. Yeah. Which was also about p- characters stuck in their residences and uh you know, with the theme of technology and kind of how we use it in our lives. Yeah, I was thinking about that, just the weird coincidence. I mean, again, you've got people locked in their in their home. Uh, afraid of potentially some sort of virus or contaminant outside and i don't know it was just yeah a very strange coincidence uh but then i was also like well maybe we're also just seeing the pandemic in everything at this point yeah i mean it has about as much in common with hashtag alive as uh scare me does i think (laughs) we're just seeing everything through a different lens now but i did think of it as well it is this is an interesting follow-up um so it's a, it's a pretty simple premise. The film is set in the UK and it centers around a young man named Nick who's uh, bringing his new girlfriend home for the holidays. But he hasn't really been home for some while. And so uh, he gets there and there's some, you know, kind of some tension, some drama between him and the rest of his family, which are his mom and his dad, his dad's dad, and then his sister who is pregnant and his sister's uh, boyfriend. And it's just your classic home for the holidays not getting along with the family story but on christmas morning they find out that there's like metal uh shutters kind of wrapped all around the house they can't leave they don't know what's going on they heard the night before that there's a terrorist attack in the area so they think maybe it's a government response to the terrorist attack and soon uh messages start appearing on their television set maybe from the government maybe from some other uh malevolent entity giving them instructions telling them what to do and uh the situation kind of starts to tear them apart in short order in more ways than one right and i mean i i guess uh that's a great summary i think one of the the early notes or discussion points because this comes into play very early on is i guess i would tweak just slightly where you said it's kind of your classic home for the holidays family drama it's a little more than that because nick brings home his girlfriend whose name is anjaya i believe she's uh indian or of indian descent uh everybody calls her angie and you immediately have just a lot of racist political kind of stuff going on because essentially the nick's family is a bunch of uh well not trumpies i guess over there would be a bunch of uh remainers um Levers, or sorry, yes, levers, levers, not remainers. <laughs> uh, but, but it's not when, called Brenter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's going to be called when David Brent brings the, the European <laughs> Union back together. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, I I did misspeak when I said you know it's, it's not basically a, a typical drama in terms of a, a film, but it's it's the well known story of you go see your family during the holidays and you find out that their politics are completely perverted and you don't want to talk to them ever again. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is pretty standard now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a it's a pretty shop worn premise. Um, if I continue, I'm just going to review it so somebody else says something. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, I mean, this is sort of apropos of nothing, but I just want to acknowledge that the uh, perhaps most vile person in the family, the extremely racist old grandfather, is actually uh-huh. played by the guy who plays uh, Filch in the Harry Potter films, which actually kind of took me a moment to piece together. But that was that was an interesting moment of recognition. So there's several bigots associated with Harry Potter franchise. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I mean, it it is really kind of hard to talk about this movie without either spoiling it or I think tipping our hands too much about what we thought of it overall. But you got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, something that was interesting to me is just the complete mystery of what the hell is going on in this movie. Um, which kind of is never really explained and it real I, I was pissed off because I thought of this comparison and then I googled it and I saw uh, the other reviewers making the same comparison so I now I'm gonna say it and people are gonna think that I'm just repeating what I read online but well, let's it, hear if it's what I read online as well, well <laughs> I'm curious well, it, it, it felt like a Twilight Zone episode oh yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as the as the element of the the shutters come comes into play, I thought, oh, this is a classic. This feels like the Twilight Zone, and of course, any review you read about that is going to make that comparison because this movie is so obviously indebted to that. It's you know, it feels like a bottle episode, which is a lot of what the Twilight Zone was. It's a bunch of characters, or a couple of characters, or even one person trapped in one location for about an hour, dealing with something inexplicable that also sort of mirrors or has ties to some sort of moral or political issue. And, and you think the last scene is going to be like a little girl putting tinfoil over her dollhouse. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, I would have liked that better. No, I mean, it is a literal bottle episode. I mean, I think only the first and last scenes actually take place outside of the house. Everything else is in and you don't see what's going on outside, which is effective and it's a very a small way. cast yeah. too it's like you yeah. know you know you even think of things i think it's the smallest cast of any sort of bottle episode i've seen other than like saw where it's two guys in a bathroom it's five people and that's it i think no six people uh six people and that's it and you watch the credits scroll and it's like here's six names thanks for watching there's seven people chris there is a baby in that woman and that oh. is a person <laughs> All right, You're, he had got the, me. The, there is well, a, there is a baby. Probably, probably the second most racist person in the family is the uh, pregnant sister, next pregnant sister. Yeah, yeah. I have a huge problem I have with this movie. Is okay. I was, I mean, I was on board. I think what I was on board for the most part. I mean, I found it very watchable and in slightly intriguing because there's that carrot on the stick of are they going to explain what's going on is there going to be some big grand reveal are they going to swing for the fences the only reason i think i was focused on that carrot though is because all the characters that we have in in this these seven people in this house if you include the baby are extremely one note they each basically have one dramatic purpose that they keep hammering at over and over and over again 
Did either of you have a problem with that, or did you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially, I think, in a way, the one that frustrated me the most was actually Angie, because, you know, I mean, this is, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, it's a fairly woke movie, I guess. You know, we're obviously criticizing the, or it's attempting to be a fairly woke movie. Let's put it that way. It's it's certainly criticizing the family's racism towards Angie. But Angie herself is, like, literally just there to be the partner of color who exposes these racist tendencies. Like she's not really a notable character in and of herself, other than that. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. That's what else we know about her. She's just a foil for the racist. That's it. Like, and like, I, I don't think any of us would disagree with, with some of the messaging in this movie, but it just feels like, I wish it had been fleshed out a little bit more. I wish these characters had been given more life, more purpose, more agency. Yeah. Right? Because it feels like it's, like you said, Patrick, it's attempting to be woke. It's coming from a really good place. Yeah. It just doesn't really do anything with that. Like, ah. it's not, I don't think it's enough to just have racists pitted against each other and have that be their sole communication between each other. Well, and like and the, the most. topic of communication. And the most fleshed out character in the movie, at least to me, was uh, weirdly the the dad, actually, who is definitely a piece of shit and does some terrible things to his family in the movie. And we we actually do learn a little bit about sort of his background and essentially how his granddad, played by (laughs) Argus Filch, uh, (laughs) abused him in his uh, youth. And and I, I liked that. Uh, just it was interesting that yeah the one character who got that level of of depth was the middle aged white patriarch. Well, uh, the characterization bothered me throughout the movie. In fact, probably halfway, a little more than halfway through this movie, I was actively upset at this movie because I was so frustrated that situations were playing out largely because the people weren't acting like real people Mm -hmm. um, and they weren't you know no one was listening to each other etc but as it went on I was like wait a minute this is this is a farce this is these aren't supposed to be three dimensional characters and there's actually a line in the movie where someone says this is a farce (laughs) and I thought that was interesting um it's it's these characters i think are stand-ins it's kind of a black comedy at times um and i don't think we're supposed to take everything very seriously um whether that serves the movie or not eh, that is the question because i had a similar thought this movie does seem to like it does seem to lean into dark comedy um more as an overall tone as it goes along but if that's what it's aspiring to, then it leaves me with even less than I thought <laughs> after seeing it. Like, if we're not supposed to take any of this seriously, it makes it even more ridiculous to me how thin and shallow these characters are. Because there's nothing else to cling to. The you know We'll obviously have to wait for the spoiler room to get into it, but the, uh, the big reveal, um, or as much as it reveals about the premise and how they wind up in this place, is like even more shallow than anything that came before it well the big Mm. reveal the big reveal which it's almost impossible to discuss the movie without at least tipping our our hats to the idea that there is a big reveal is gonzo it's bonkers it's more than i was expecting certainly and 
there's just something about it. We're obviously going to get into a lot more detail about it in the spoiler room, but there's something mm-hmm. about it where I was just like, uh, this came too late. Like I needed this. If this was going to be the tone and this was where we were going, I needed it way earlier. And I guess I sort of feel the same way about the black comedy thing. I think maybe the, the reveal certainly would fit in, be a little more of a piece with the black comedy approach, but also I need a little more of that and a little more like clue into that earlier. Well, let me tell you what all this meant to me um, in terms of my emotional experience with this movie. We've talked about movies that have like a dream logic to them. This movie for me followed like nightmare logic. Like I was watching this movie and things were happening that didn't make sense. That seemed impossible. Nobody was acting like a real person or they were acting like real people only in, in fits and starts. Horrible shit's happening it really kind of unnerved me and ultimately i was more scared by this movie than any movie we've watched recently wow that's that's really interesting and i can see i can see how i mean there were some moments that creeped me out there is like an uncanniness to this film but i think a lot of it a lot of the sort of uncanniness the sort of like almost like pseudo like i could see being in the right mindset to see this is almost like a like a lynchian sort of thing a lot of that that eeriness came down to me um due to just like a lack of a cohesive vision like like the the acting seemed all over the place like there wasn't this movie didn't really have like a look to it the cinematography wasn't really all that interesting like i i i think like I don't know. For me, my experience with the movie feeling creepy hinged upon just bad filmmaking and bad writing and it all just kind of mingling with a baffling premise in an interesting way. I think it was purely accidental. I kind of disagree with everything you just said. Wow. (laughs) You're allowed to do that. That's why we're here to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't argue with it, or I'd be arguing with it, but I, I disagree. <laughs> your, no, your experience is your own, and that's kind of the beautiful thing about, about movies. Um, and, and I think horror especially, because it's such a hard tone to nail, and there's so many different ways you can go about it that you know everyone's experience is going it can be wildly different and and it was a very unpleasant movie to watch. It was It was upsetting to me, the scenes. Uh, it, I was just viscerally bothered by this movie for some ways I can't quite articulate and for some ways that were just because you have these horror all these I mean with the exception of of our two leads every the, the four other four or five other people in this house are horrible people all of them and they're carrying on in horrible ways you know whether it's racism whether it's violence etc they're doing horrible disgusting things uh, there's you know virtually torture porn in some segments where mm-hmm. it's just like really dark and upsetting there's people just screaming at each other almost the whole movie and it was just like i was uncomfortable watching this movie i almost wanted to knock the movie for that but that's kind of what horror is about right like i mean i i certainly there's certainly different tastes but it seems weird to say that a horror movie didn't do something right if you were just kind of squirming and anxious for it to be over the whole time I don't know. That's something. That's an experience I've talked about on the show before. I think, or at least we've the three of us have talked about it um, uh, off cast. But I sometimes with a horror movie, you know, I feel anxious. I feel I'm you know on the edge of my seat, and I'm just like, come on, like 
get through that hallway. And I don't know if it's like just me being anxious and like wanting the movie to move at a faster pace or if the movie is actually affecting me the way it's meant to. Like sometimes that's like a really hard line for me to draw. Um, usually it comes down to like it's bad. It's it's not great filmmaking and, and I'm right to be anxious for this scene to be over with. There's some weird shit in here, though, that I do have to say did kind of lend a little bit of the dreamlike quality that you're talking about, Chris. Like when the uh, the the boyfriend of the the pregnant sister, um, there's a scene where he has to like feed something like through the wall. There's like a yeah. little like vagina yeah. porthole in this cabled wall, like, and there's like a little bit of kind of uh, minor puppetry going on there. That really freaked me out. Like once the movie like leaned into the the sort of alienness of the scenario, I felt like I was in a completely different film in a way that was jarring and and um inviting to me. Yeah, I loved that. And I, I think I don't know my main anxiety or the main source of tension for me was figuring out what the fuck was going on. I actually wasn't. I don't know. All the interpersonal stuff felt like escalation and escalation, almost in a. I don't know. It just felt mechanical to me, the way they were trying to whip up the tension amongst these people. And the main source of suspense for me was just like, okay, get to like, why why is this happening? Why is this house surrounded by these shutters? Why are they locked in like this? What could possibly be the explanation? And again, I was both sort of thrilled by the answer but also frustrated with how late it ended up coming because by that point i i don't know i just felt kind of checked out of a lot of the interpersonal stuff even as over the top and and lurid as it does get which i guess would be worth talking about like some of the things that the tv tells them to do like early yeah, we on, should get into that. Early on, they're instructed to strip down and scrub themselves with bleach, which I will say resonated with me because you're not supposed to put bleach on your body, are you? No, uh, no. But I have, you know, the, I thought about that because I have a, a neighbor um, who, during he's pretty crazy. Um, during early COVID, he was every time he rides his bike past my apartment multiple times a day and he'll stop to chat and he always reeked of bleach and i found out hmm. that he actually did like clean his body and everything in his apartment with bleach oh my that's God. how terrified he was of covid i'm pretty sure that like oh this was just should've... since covid i don't know if he did that before but that's oh, when okay. i that's when i figured it out maybe it's, maybe he only just like started doing it twice as much because of covid but i was like he must have the poison control center on speed dial. Like yeah. I was, I was cringing watching these people. I feel like that would be, I don't know why, but I feel like that would be painful on some level. Like it would burn or something. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten bleach just on my fingers before. It doesn't burn, but it makes your hand feel all slimy for a long time. So even that alone just seemed kind of gross to me. I don't know. Yeah, the, that, that's a good example of some of the, the kind of squirmy stuff going on in this movie though. Um, the TV tells them to throw out all their food. I don't know. Like some of this stuff was just like, I, I was, I was questioning why everybody was going along with it, especially like, you know, say the the bleach thing. I mean, Nick and Angie go up to their room to do this or to the guest room, whatever, to do this. And they actually follow through. And I'm just like, why are, why are you doing this? Like, I was no really one's shocked watching by you. that, too. The, the authoritarian dad is not watching you. Like, why are you complying? I thought they were just going to, like, cuddle and like pretend they'd done it and right. maybe like wipe a little on their hands so they smelled like it when they went downstairs it was really odd to me that they followed through because they you know they want the fuck out of there they tried to i mean the the way that we find out that 
something is wrong is that they try to escape this house overnight Mm -hmm. so they don't have to they don't have to be there for the rest of the holiday Mm -hmm. um so it just felt very strange that they all of a sudden started obeying the the rules of of daddy that really frustrated me because we had nick our hero who doesn't like any of this but at every juncture he basically goes along with the authority now I think that's done deliberately for thematic reasons, and we will get into that in the spoiler room. But yeah, it did create kind of a disconnect with the character, where you have these characters who are who know better, you know, just going along. But again, it's just it all is all working on this dream logic to me. I don't know. I envy that experience, um, but, yeah. but there is definitely there is definitely a lot going on with the power dynamic and with with you know patterns of abuse and and like the sort of hereditary nature of abuse being passed down from generation to generation. It's not dealt with in a particularly heavy manner, but that that's definitely an element going on. Here. I was fascinated by the the mom character. I guess well, yeah. Now that I think about it, some of these characters were a bit deeper than I gave credit to early on. Well, Angie wasn't. I stand by that criticism. But the mom was interesting. I liked how you could see her her arc. I don't know, when when her and the dad go up to scrub down with bleach, that's a fascinating and kind of heartbreaking scene when she, like, hears Nick and Angie fooling around a little bit while they're scrubbing down in the other room. And so she, like... I don't know, attempts to create a little bit of a flirty mood as she strips down with the husband and is just shut uh-huh. the fuck down. And that actress's performance in that moment was really phenomenal, I thought, and heartbreaking. Because, I mean, and you learn later in the movie that, I mean, big surprise, the dad has been an asshole to her for years. But, um, yeah, the the actress put a lot, I thought, into that role. And some of, a lot of which was not even written into the script, but she put years and decades of heartbreak and abuse into that character the dad is is kind of a familiar archetype that i can't quite place my finger on but he's he's the kind of guy who has you know i guess feels emasculated by events in his past so now his his reason for being is that he's really proud that he's an office manager and you know that he probably listens to ted talks every day on his ride into work or something and 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 thinks that he's uh i don't know some kind of badass it's a little bit. Of, it's a. Uh, it's a little bit of an extension of like the 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 insecure, bully military dad stereotype that we get in movies. Yeah. Except yeah. like he's he's an office manager. Like it's just like even more pathetic that he takes his life so seriously and his his sense of foe superiority and the authority that he exerts over the rest of his family. And, and um, I mean, and Granddad is actually a, a mil- has a military background yeah. and you know has has been in this shit. He was at the Blitz. He was at the Bulge. He was with Roger Waters' dad in the real shit. And uh, he kind of cudgels the dad with that on multiple junctures. Well, yeah, and then the dad like goes full military like interrogation on Nick late in the movie and literally like looks up how to torture him. And, oh, and this is another weird parallel. I mean, we've watched a lot of these movies lately, but, I mean, this also reminded me very much of Would You Rather. Not, oh, yes. Not just because someone's eye is, uh, you know, put in uh, great peril at a certain point in the movie. But, I mean, also, again, Would You Rather, a movie where people are all fucking locked in a room with the same people. I, You know, I think COVID is reaching out through Netflix and fucking with us through these movies now. I think that's, yeah. I think that's just fact. 
And, and it has a very would you rather sort of escalation, you know, where it's like first the TV's like, do this very easy thing. And then by the end, it's like, hey, who do you want to kill today? Yeah. <laughs> I will say a, a relief to me going into this because I thought this was going to be way more like would you rather than it actually wound up being i was worried it was going to be just torture porn from the outset looking at yeah. the poster reading the description of it like you know it, it left a lot to be desired for me in terms of sort of character development and, and you know dialogue direction all these things but thank god it wasn't just people like ripping out each other's teeth and stabbing each other in the leg for 90 minutes no uh, I don't know really what else we can say about it before we go down to the spoiler room. Um, except I I did look up uh, the director, Johnny Kevorkian, and uh, was uh, dismayed to find out that he actually died very recently. Just Whoa, in November. What? Yeah, Johnny Kevorkian, at age like 48, uh, died just this past November from a heart attack. Damn. So um, he had some other work. Uh, he had a movie in 2008 called The Disappeared, um, which I think got some acclaim. Um, not very prolific, but seems like he made a mark and uh, certainly made a mark on me with this movie. This felt to me like I'm assuming he was a bit older and obviously he made a film um, by a bit older. I mean, he's not like uh, he's not a zoomer. He's not a millennial. Yeah, but this this felt like a first or second feature to me, where I was like, you know what, there's some promise here. Yeah. Um, th- this feels like the kind of movie where I would be like, you know what, I'd I'd like to see what this person does next with like, you know, a different writer, different budget, different scenario. Really sad to hear that that yeah, is it for him. That's all we're gonna get. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's about all we can really uh, get into without you know kind of giving away some of these uh, plot beats. So I think it might be time to go to the spoiler realm. But first, we got two orders of business. First of all, we got to remind you, uh, you know, go online, check us out on uh, every horror movie on Netflix dot com. You can buy some of our merchandise. You can see all the movies we've reviewed, all the ratings we've given. You can find us on social media at Amoncast, E H M O N Cast. Uh, we're on, you know, all your favorite social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, you know, leave us a note, leave us a review on your podcast service. We just love hearing from fans, hearing uh, when we're doing things right. And, you know, hey, if you if you think we're doing something wrong, uh, you know, you, you, you don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, we have to review the movie. So, um, I don't know, Steven, you want, are you brave enough to go first? Would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Yeah, I'm going to give it a screw it. Um, I, I feel like there was just a lot of untapped potential in this premise. I, I, my feelings are complicated because I want to say that, but I also want to say, like, I don't even know that this should have been inte- attempted at all without further sort of clarity of vision. I mean, we talked about how this feels like feels a little bit like a twilight zone episode but i gotta say like once we finally get the payoff that we're waiting for the entire time it just made me feel even less impressed with everything that came before uh, yeah I, I it's not it's not a hard screw it like i hold no malice toward uh johnny kevorkian r.i.p rest in power um but it's just it's just not very good damn it i felt cheated in the end i think it felt it felt it felt um very gimmicky to me I'll say. Well, I'm going to try to change your mind a little bit in the spoiler room because I'm actually going to give this a view it. Interesting. I, I, I was all over the place on this movie while I was watching it. There were times during this movie I was like, screw this movie. There were times where I was like, eh, I could go either way in this movie. But when it was all over, I was like, 
I I gotta say, it's a damn effective movie let's dispel the notion that wait further instructions doesn't know what it's doing it knows exactly what it's doing um i i thought it was it, the performances all the characterization all the stuff that you can rightfully criticize about this movie i think was of a piece uh in just building this sort of uh weird nightmare world that i found very unsettling and then when we finally get to the payoffs uh it hit me with the thematically and intellectually and i i thought it was kind of doing some interesting things that that kind of are are a little bit deeper than probably what most people are just gonna watch this movie and and say oh well that was about this um (laughs) so i'm gonna say view it i thought it was very interesting and it's it scared the hell out of me at times so what can you say uh patrick Oh man, it's hard for me. I because I fucking loved a lot about the last like twenty minutes of this, but again, it took so long to get there. And I don't know. In the end, to me, the the political stuff, the the thematic stuff, just felt extremely shallow. Especially once you get to the final explanation for it all, it feels extra shallow. I don't know. There is a lot to like about this, but it just doesn't all hang together. I think I gotta go to screw it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Sorry. Well, we're going to get more into it in the spoiler room. So if you want to check out the movie on your own, go do that now. Otherwise, let's, uh, you know, go uh, try to, I don't know. I don't know where you would go put the spoiler room for this episode. But uh, maybe maybe the the bathroom that's slowly filling with poison gas. But um. (laughs) we're we're going, we're going to... Break break the wall around the pipe at the, at the back of the toilet. Yeah, and we're, we're going to stick, stick our phones in there, and we're going to crawl in as far as we can. That's yep. the best we can do. All right. Yep. So uh, see you see you there in just a few seconds. Welcome back to Every Horror Movie on Netflix. We are down here in the spoiler room getting ready to spoil everything about Await Further Instructions. I mean, I, I think we should start by kind of just uh, describing some of the, the greatest hits of this this television set This that's that's giving them uh, commands throughout the movie. Um, you know, give, give, giving you a little bit of a taste of what sorts of horrors uh, these this family has to deal with. Yeah, I mean the 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 television tells them you know time for your vaccine. I don't know what it says exactly, but that's the gist. And fucking a bag full of literal dirty syringes fall down the chimney, and the dad fucking you know uh, berates everybody into vaccinating themselves, even though Angie tells them obviously it's not safe. The granddad fucking pukes molasses and keels over dead like five minutes later yeah the dad is like the definition of a bootlicker which i (laughs) i did kind of appreciate that because it's like he has to be an authority he has to make all the decisions he has to pretend he has a handle on the situation but he's also following orders blindly the entire time and that that instance was perhaps the most horrifying to me of any in this movie he's under the assumption that the tv is an emergency channel being used by the government and that you have to do your duty and you have to do what the tv tells you to do because it's the government and they know what's best and they're going to keep you safe so take the damn vaccine and we all sit here and we say look at that idiot 
But we're all getting, you know, I'm getting the vaccine because the TV told me to, <laughs> right? Why am I so different? Oh, boy. Are you going full I, uh, Bill Gates is giving us COVID anti-vaxxer here? We we no, know we yeah, know you're not at that persuasion, Chris, but I feel like I'm you need a, to make that, that clearer right now. But, but I thought that was interesting, you know, especially now at the time where we, you know, the, the COVID vaccine is... Uh, you know, subject to misinformation and everything. And it's like, where do you get your authority from? Uh, do you get your authority from social media where you think that it's a hoax and uh, the vaccine is going to kill you? Or do you get your authority from TV or, or whatever authority figure you trust in your life? Um, but we're not so different, I think, from the characters in this movie. And I guess that kind of gets into the thematic thing that I took away from this movie which is that this movie isn't about TV or the media as much as it's about authority who tells you how to live your life who tells you what to do and there's various lenses that they look at that question from um, and the the vaccine uh, thing kind of started me thinking about it when I was watching this movie because yeah you know what I I wish we lived in a world where everyone was like the dad in this movie and they're like oh there's a vaccine take it immediately it's good for you (laughs) that's kind of a utopia compared to what we're living in now i mean sure but that theme is not well articulated to me i mean the so you've got the authority figure of the tv which is of course extremely questionable um Oh, I, I got my list. I got my list of authority figures, and it becomes explicit in the finale of the movie. Uh, I don't know if you want to go there now or, or not. There, there's a chain of command going from the TV to the dad and, you know, however you want to assemble it from there on down. But if you're making a point about how authority can corrupt, give me a more compelling explanation for I mean, I, even, like, looking at this vaccine scene again, like, why the fuck, or even the, what we already talked about with the bleach scene, why the fuck do Nick and Angie behind closed doors go through with this bleach washing thing? I think there's a compelling point to be made about authority within this premise, but you need to to more compellingly show me why everyone including the most sensible people in the house are going along with these things with little to no protest i gotta say i'm with you patrick on that i think there's a lot of room for for development of that that concept within this movie all it seemed to me that this movie was trying to communicate is tv is bad Oh, no. Like, I feel like it's not any deeper than that. It's trying to be, but in the end, that's all it communicates, especially with the finale, the the kind of gonzo, um, sort of half-baked finale that we'll we'll get into at some point very soon um it seemed like this movie's messaging was very simple and shallow no it's it's incidentally about tv i think i i do agree with that i do agree with that i don't i don't think that it's necessarily about tv or even media so much as how we swallow the instructions that we're given um, yeah, await further instructions. It's right there in the title. Who's giving you the instructions, and what are you going to do with them? That's kind of the question of this movie. Yeah. Well, it's, for me, it's when the movie like literally turns into like body horror involving a television that I'm like, and it feels like that's supposed to seem profound. Where I started to sort of question oh. the integrity of the messaging in this movie. I guess I, I should clarify that. I thought it was profound as fuck, to be honest. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Whoa. That's where it falls yeah. apart to me because I feel like it it can't string together something coherent on the whole authority theme pre. Yeah. 
that twist, and so it resorts to that twist just to give you an ending, essentially. Oh, no, 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 no. So, um, so that's I mean, 100% we, we, where I fell on it, Patrick, which is why ultimately why I gave it a screw. Well, first, say, let's let's say what happens with that so right, people sure. know what we're talking about, and then I want to hear Chris's take on this. So, Well, well, do we need to fill... I mean, just before we get to that point, you know, the TV does its TV stuff. It, it gives increasingly upsetting instructions to people. Um virtually everybody i mean most of the cast dies grandpa gets maybe killed by the vaccine uh there's an altercation where the pregnant sister ends up breaking her leg getting infected and dying very quickly she's pregnant so she has an unborn child in her belly what happens to the mom oh the mom gets trapped in a room after the tv said come downstairs and there's poison gas in the room and she her head explodes um <laughs> yeah we didn't and, we didn't even mention that this whole scenario involves in addition to the the barriers around the house also mysterious pipes being run into the house without explanation that later emit poison gas well the tv yeah. is it's it's gaslighting the entire family and and i guess like the oh man reason, in such one, a literal sense ha in a literal sense and one reason that like that kind of didn't work for me is because it only stands to exacerbate these already very superficial differences these people these characters have with each other there just wasn't really a lot of there wasn't really much that was sort of thrilling or exciting to me about that it just felt very by the numbers one of the big things that you know the casual viewer will notice and then is later explicitly said in the in the movie is that you know the tv other than you know pumping poison gas into certain rims of the house the the, the tv and or whoever's controlling the tv isn't doing a lot to actually hurt or kill people it all comes out of the conflicts that they have between themselves and yeah. how they respond to the instructions a more sensible family may have just uh, saw there were shutters on their house and gone back to bed or something and not gone all Lord of the Flies on the situation. Well, Chris, this uh, takes me back to, I, I feel like this is worth mentioning. Um, when we read the premise on the air uh, on the previous <laughs> episode, yeah. I think you said I would just unplug the TV. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I, I, I hope there's a scene where they unplug the TV and it won't turn off. And, and did we get that? We didn't quite get that. I think the TV does turn off when they unplug it. We didn't get that. But there was a, there was a moment in this movie that gave me a little bit of hope because it actually kind of gave me chills and, and drew me back to thinking about the Twilight Zone. There's a moment where our our main protagonist, uh, whatever his name is, Angie's Nick. boyfriend, Nick, where... Uh, and he and Angie talk about like just turning the TV off and he's like he and I'm I'm going to I'm going to botch this but he says something like like what if I push the button and it doesn't turn off and I was like oh that's a like that's a great premise that's that's a that's a great like Richard Matheson story you know like it's very simple it's creepy like it made my stomach drop a little bit um I almost wish the movie had been had leaned into that kind of simplicity I feel like where things get bungled is when it tries to be woke and tries to uh, to get into to politics and social issues. Yeah, that was kind of a weird moment because it's like, why would why would that even cross his mind and why would he say it? <laughs> it's like they, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, our hero's sister's husband or boyfriend, whoever whoever got her pregnant, he died Baby somehow. Dan. I forget how. Oh, he. I think he dies in a fight or something. Yeah, I actually what don't remember either. 
But he, the cane just comes on and pulls him off the stage. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because what we're left with is is psycho authoritarian dad and our two heroes are the last three standing. And it's, I, I, one of you guys is probably better equipped to explain the s- surreal visions that we get and what happens with the tv because i don't like I, I was in a trance i don't remember exactly how this starts <laughs> you lost time you were in a fugue state yeah yeah so there's an altercation between nick and the dad god i'm trying to remember exactly how nick this plays knocked, out he, now he, actually he, he knocks the dad out and then before the dad can get back up he throws the tv onto him yeah. ostensibly killing him and then we get all kinds of like really shitty looking tentacly Tetsuo the Iron Man uh, nonsense. I thought it looked it. great, but I mean, so oh yeah, same. Wow. The, okay. um, um, I mean, the it girlfriend. looks it looks great in a lo-fi practical effects like '80s kind of way. That was what yeah, I was I loving. Thought it, I thought Tetsuo the Iron Man as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Or you know, Cronenberg. Obviously, I mean, Cronenberg is the very obvious comparison to make here. I mean, it doesn't work for me, and it will never work for me, but I can kind of see, like, with the way that this movie approaches these characters in such a cartoonish manner, it only makes sense that the threat is also kind of cartoonish-looking, but I don't yeah. know, man. I, I just don't know. It was, well, too, it, was too, it was too much for me. Too much too late, I think. We, we, know that, we know that Angie was stuck in her in a bedroom, like, kind of uh, in isolation for a bit, and she saw something inside a broken TV that terrified her. And, and yeah. again, this, these have to be CRT TVs, because that's the only, you know, despite being a 2018 movie, it's the only kind of TV you can play this game with. We later find out that she saw, like, a beating heart inside the TV. And I'll be damned, there's some sort of, you know, tentacle form snake-like multitude entity wrapped up in these tvs its tentacles pressed together make up the shutters that have been surrounding the house yeah there's basically the cyber tentacles entwined all over their entire house running through the tv a hive mind going on or something it's sensational and so this all starts to come alive in the in the closing moments of this movie Oh, I sensational is the perfect word. I mean, these tentacles look like they're like they were some look like they were stop motion animated. Some look like they were filmed uh, like the film was run in reverse to make them look like they're, you know, like uh, rushing towards a character and, and, and ensnaring them. I loved it. I love practical effects. I loved the unnatural appearance of it. Uh, you know you give me this in the last 20 minutes all of a sudden i'm hooked and not to say that i wasn't i don't know it's just such a jarring transition uh i just i wished this had been one thing or the other or that it had chosen to be one thing sooner but i feel like there's a lot of movies that that kind of save that iconic monster madness for the very end of the movie Sure, I don't know. I uh, to me it was it was this is clearly a very low budget movie and it was really hard for me to tell like is this an homage or is this the best they can do or is it they took the best they could do and turned it into an homage to try and cover up for the fact that it looks very silly. It exists in a weird place that just is totally incongruous with the tone of the rest of the movie. And yeah, I'm with you, Patrick. I was suddenly one million percent more interested in what was going on <laughs> once this started happening. I was getting, you know, those late 80s Stuart Gordon vibes. But yeah. it felt to me like like that whole sequence would have been better suited as like 
a two-minute ABCs of Death short and not the final act of a feature film. Yeah, that's sure. I would have liked more of a build-up. No, because I mean, because then there'd be less mystery to it. Uh, we do get the glimpse of the things when the guy sticks his phone through the hole in the wall to see what's outside. Yeah. And it's very vague. So there is a little bit of something there. You know, something's coming. I don't know how much more of it they could have shown without taking away from the finale. And really surprising you with this bonkers of a finale, I think, is the only way you could really answer the mystery in a satisfactory way. I mean, it certainly beats them all like falling asleep and waking up in a lab where where Vincent D'Onofrio is a government scientist and he's like, let me explain how the government did this to you. <laughs> okay, two things. I have two things to say about this. One, I am sick and tired of the constant denigration of Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> on this program. Vincent D'Onofrio is an incredible fucking actor and I feel like he's been turned into a joke and I don't appreciate it. I'm sorry. That's that's how I associate him. I associate him as the exposition guy who shows up to <sighs> minutes from the end of the horror movie because that's I, what he was in sinister i know he doesn't deserve i it. mean i mean I, I i kid to a degree uh because i did have a similar perception of him for a while fucking watch him in daredevil though holy shit that motherfucker can act second <laughs> i forgot i forgot actually well here's a question i had for steven earlier i forgot what the second thing was you you talked about how this didn't look good to you and i'm just curious like how do you how could you do it better because in my mind the only other real option is to do this with cg which i think would have looked like shit and which i would have found horrendous and certainly not as entertaining as this actually was i mean how do, how do you think you could have how would you have done this better i guess I mean that's a great question. I, I and I don't have an I don't have an easy answer for it. I it was just so jarring that I I don't know. I think it's I think it stands fine on its own if you're looking for a silly denouement to a very silly movie. But this is a point in the movie where like we're finally supposed to get an answer as to like what this outside threat is. Finally, all the themes are supposed to tie together, and they didn't very well for me. And it just made the monster kind of laughable to me in the process. That was my original second thing to say about this was Chris said, you know, that this is the only way to end this satisfactorily. It was not satisfactory to me. I'm like, me I mean, and, and, and again, I don't have a better answer to this situation. That's the screenwriter's problem that they wrote themselves into. Yeah. I don't have a better explanation for why shutters are over this house, but just like, oh, it's a uh, alien thing thing well we still don't know was what not, it is was not satisfactory but it could also i mean i i went a couple of ways on this while i was watching it i was thinking okay it would be really cool if they can somehow pull off a you know a very wild visual sort of answer to our question of what is outside the house what is trapping them in that would be really fun or it you could, just you wanted the girl putting the tinfoil over the house the dollhouse or it could have gone in the direction of like it comes at night where it's just like so minimalist that we get nothing we get no answer whatsoever which is incredibly frustrating no matter how you slice it i think the middle path would have been better which is what you're describing chris <laughs> that that twilight zone ending <laughs> where we're like we get we just get one kind of shocking image that like pulls zooms us out of the experience and then we're done that would have been fine with me Dude, honestly, yeah, if you if you end it with like a little girl in, you know, a war-torn future or something like, you know, acting out her own family trauma in her dollhouse and trying to keep everybody safe with like aluminum foil. I you know what? I, I 
I'm going to say it. I like that ending better. Patrick, Patrick, Chris, and Steven rewrote the movie this time. Look, look. It was a joint effort. It, this this entire thing was just a little, uh, a few, the, the whole story, you zoom out, you zoom out, zoom out. It was all just a couple of molecules interacting together within a clown's tear. Like, that would have been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just it was just a, it was just a little boy on an airplane drawing pictures on a, on a coloring book. <laughs> but Chris, I want to know how this how this came together thematically for you. That's what I'm yeah, dying right. to know. So there's a couple revelations in this in this finale, and and one of them is you know these crazy monstrous uh, electronic tentacle things are are filling the house, and Nick realizes that like wait a minute they're not like killing us like they aren't actually doing anything to us and and he kind of says explicitly in that moment that like everything that bad that has happened to this family has happened because of them themselves tearing each other apart basically right yeah so you know the easy interpretation is that oh it's about tv it's about fox news it's about people you know zoned out on tv losing their humanity turning on each other etc like i said i think it's about authority and and that could be tv obviously it's also a lot about religion there's a cross hanging over the tv the entire movie Uh, that's right yeah the movie is set on christmas um the dad who's an authoritarian takes christmas holiday very seriously it's about the authority that comes with parenthood especially fatherhood in the father and the grandfather and their whole sort of like the, the, the father has that weird monologue to Nick about what it means to be a father etc and certainly he uses his role as the patriarch or the, the family to get everybody else to do everything um, and it's also about government and the authority of government and how basically people defer the tv because they assume it's the government the government knows best they even you know defer to the tv before it goes rogue when they're watching the news and there's a terror attack and all that stuff and they you know and so on so what do we get in the final reel of this movie so to speak it all assimilates we have the cyber tentacles come in the house and they basically resurrect the father in yeah. the artwork that you may have seen on the, the Netflix thumbnail. You know, the, the tentacles are in his mouth. They're using him basically as a puppet. And that's like the only time the entity has a voice and it talks to Nick, says something about, you know, your extinction is coming, etc. Before that happens, the TV basically like makes everyone think like the rapture is happening or something there's all these like angelic visions on the tv it says we are your resurrection all this all this holy language which really moves the father like to tears he starts kneeling he thinks god is in the tv now and so we get the ultimate and and then the 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 final act i mean i don't even know what happens to nick and his girlfriend they just kind of like lay down on the floor and get assimilated by the tentacles but then they they actually um the tentacles consume nick's dead sister strip her flesh down to bone and the the unborn child remains and the unborn child's first glimpse is this tv which gives it the name and says explicitly and what maybe two on the nose worship me but this all started clicking for me when I saw this puppeteered dad walking around. I'm like, all right, so we have television, we have God, we have fatherhood, and we have government. And like, they're all becoming the same thing right now. The television has become the father, has become God. And then in the last shot of the film, where we pan out and we see that the whole neighborhood has basically been assimilated by this stuff. It's a de facto government, if you want to take the analogy there. But at the minimum, we've got television, religion, and fatherhood coming together 
through this unholy vessel of the father given a voice saying i'm your extinction and um you know i i think that's what it's about where do we get our authority from and is it good for us and i i, I don't know exactly what it's trying to say but it really gave me a lot to think about <laughs> that okay i i'm with you one 100 those are all themes of this movie I think that's what it's trying to do. I just feel like the movie is not well made or well written enough to get us there without putting in extra credit. It feels like your your argument sounds like a book report for a Dean Koontz novel. <laughs> like I think that is what the filmmakers were in, were intending to say. I just don't think the film communicates that in a way that is like at least for me, I didn't feel like it was like worth putting in the work to put it together. And instead I just looked at the images, but I am well, fascinated yeah. that you had that experience. And I, and I love that actually. I, I love hearing your enthusiasm for that. Um, but you also said that you didn't really know what to make of it in the end. Yeah. And I yeah, don't know so, if it, but so go ahead, Patrick. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like Biden over here. I'm fucking taking notes and like trying to signal the moderator to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, inter- to interject my brain addled uh, commentary on what you just said. Um, so kind of just building on what Steven said, this is reminding me a bit of the conversation we had about a new nightmare. And you said, uh, you know, it's about celebrity. It's about this. It's about that. And my response to, to both those movies is, Sure, it has those things in it, but that doesn't, to me, mean that it's actually about those. And when I say it's not about them, I mean it doesn't articulate a cohesive statement on those issues to me. Like, you need more than a cross over the TV to make a point to me about religion. And and as you kind of detailed more of the, the, the final uh, developments that are related to religion in the movie, I was like, oh, you know what? Actually, okay, yeah, that makes some sense. But also, it doesn't, it doesn't set it up. It doesn't do the work. It gives you a cross over the TV early in the movie, and then it gives you this religious gobbledygook from the uh, TV in the final moments. And to me, it doesn't add up to something cohesive. And as Steven said, I mean, you even said it yourself, Chris, you don't know what it all adds up to, but it gave you a lot to think about. And I guess that's my problem. You know, there are ideas here. They have lofty ideas. They're just not putting together something that is structurally, narratively sound. They're just throwing ideas at the screen. And and to me, that, you know, can produce some interesting moments, but it doesn't add up to something that sticks or feels like a a, a fully formed idea as a movie to me. Well, I mean, I think the religion thing is more developed than that. I mean, again, remember, the, the whole movie takes place on, on Christmas Day. We have all these characters who seem to hate each other being coming together out of obligation because it's a Christian holiday and, you know, getting sermoned at the dinner table by the father, etc. But, you know, I, I don't know. I've only seen the movie once, right? So maybe on a second viewing the intentions of the movie will become more clear but also i think it's just kind of commenting and and putting stuff out there that there aren't answers to and i don't really know how the movie could be more explicit about making a point it might just end up being too on the nose or too much of a polemic or something if it it did that i think it's just kind of making a poem basically about these things and giving you stuff to think about like i said with the vaccine like you know haha these guys are idiots because they're doing what the tv tells them to or doing what they're father tells them to or doing what the government tells them to or doing what their god tells them to uh but so are we all basically in every aspect of our life unless you're extremely committed to punk rock 
<laughs> I, you know, I, I like you saying that it's a poem about these things. Um, I really appreciate that reading on any kind of film that doesn't have easy answers. Um, I love that it worked for you on that level, and I'm really curious to hear what you think after you see it again at some point. You yeah, did get a view, it, so it's it your again. obligation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, and I mean, we're not trying to change each other's minds at this point. We're in the spoiler room. We just state how we feel, I suppose, um, and support our reviews. It's just not my kind of poetry. But I do respect that this movie came out at a very interesting point in history. You know, this was very much in, in made in in the thick of the Brexit mess, and that's a topic that is still really difficult to talk about and to understand something that's still developing really mm-hmm. um and and i do appreciate i that mean this, it only just finished being done like a month ago i know right <laughs> and, and then we have to deal with the aftermath of that and what what does that mean and and what what do the initial brexit supporters feel about the 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 decisions they made early on um but it's a little bit too murky for me, I think, especially for a genre movie. Genre movies uh, of this ilk tend to take a really hard stance on things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the genre is employed, because it's a way to... T- horror is often a way to talk about really difficult things in a way that isn't literal, but that still has like a... a cl- uh, a clear message when you strip away the monster and the the existential threat and this is a movie that like is only more confusing to me because it goes to the lengths it does to explain the otherworldly entity that is causing all this to happen it just feels very unfocused to me yeah, I mean, I, I I like Chris's explanation of it. I just didn't see it in the movie. Like, I want to see Chris's await further instructions you know either in the sense that i want to see it like made by chris or i wish i had just seen it through chris's eyes just i it it didn't add up to the same coherent statement for me that it did for you well one of the reasons it's hard to the whole movie was a little bit murky is because it's you know a, a british movie and they're using british slang through the whole damn movie you can't understand what anybody's saying oh that didn't bother me at all oh it didn't all right you know me neither. I do. I mean, to be fair though, I grew up having um, access to BBC America. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm very used to. I, I, uh, I sometimes I still watch an old episode of the Good Office, as I call it, and I I'm only just now getting some of the jokes. But I, I mean, I also had subtitles on, like I do for many things that I watch. Uh, so I want to. Um, I, I mean, I mean, the definitive thriller about technology gone rogue in a, a British house household is uh wallace and gromit in the wrong trousers oh yes. hell yes no. i can get behind that that's a view now that's now that's three view it yeah can i i want to i want to uh actually go all the way back to the very beginning of this movie briefly because i kind of scanned through it again right before we started talking and i'm curious to hear what you have to th- have to say about this either of you if anything so i love it when we get an opening like text crawl or anything in in one of one of the movies that we watch. Oh, yes. And this movie begins with a quote attributed to no one, which is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. It's the things you love that will kill you. Chris, given that you have created a very well-rounded um assessment of what this movie means to you, what do you think of that line? I'm glad you brought that up cuz I forgot all about that. I think it's two-pronged. I think 
I mean, I, I, literally, it means you know, in this movie, basically, their family kills them. Yeah, you know, the, the family kills each other basically. But you know, going back to the the four things, you know, television, religion, fatherhood, government, like. People love all those things, yet those things are always uh, often employed to drive us apart, uh, often to fatal ends. Which, to me, to start the movie by putting that on screen seems as shallow as the observations it ends up making on those things. I agree with you, Patrick. However, now that Chris has kind of laid out his case for, for what this movie may or may not mean, I think that maybe the... to. Uh, maybe I've just come to a, a place where I can sort of sum up my read of Chris's read in that I think this movie is really about fanaticism. Okay. More than anything. It's the things that you love that will kill you. It's not about questioning what you love. This movie is very much about like the values that, that some people just hold to be self-evident without questioning them. And in not questioning them, they can have detrimental effects. It's a, It's a very shallow quote. And again, it's a quote attributed to no one, which is very bizarre. But I think it does lend Johnny Kevorkian. I I guess so. I I, I wish it said it's the things you love that will kill you, Johnny Kevorkian. And then the next the next (laughs) credit is directed by Johnny Kevorkian. Like I would like if it happened in that sequence. But but I think that it it makes a little bit more sense to me now that line. Um, And I'm glad that I kind of rewound and saw that at the very beginning because I feel like if I thought more about about that when i first read it it may have impacted my read of the film a little more instead i just thought it was funny uh, so this will be a cult classic someday perhaps write that down perhaps this movie combined so many formative science fiction concepts in my life that i i should have loved it anyway do we do we have anything more to say about this movie without going further down into a rabbit hole that we can't escape from I'm done. Stick a fucking bag of used dirty syringes in me. <laughs> Damn. Well, th- that's the one thing that like kind of like where the hell did the syringes come from? <laughs> that was. I mean that that was really. The tentacles creepy. picked them up and dropped them down the chimney. Yeah, Duh. that yeah. was a really creepy scene, just visually. Um, anyway, yeah. um, Saw Two. Just watch Saw Two. If you, <laughs> it's, it's it's the best parts oh. of this movie. Honestly, yeah, Saw Two better film than await further instructions well speaking of awaiting further instructions yeah chris uh, instruct us what are we watching next week or in two weeks oh boy i thought about this pretty carefully i think it's time for us to go to space we are we are yes we are getting aboard apollo 18 oh interesting debunks the government while we're talking about who can you trust um the government told us apollo 17 was the last manned mission to the moon turns out it was apollo 18 and in two weeks we're gonna find out what the hell those astronauts found up there okay two things to say about this i never knew that there were apollos beyond apollo 13 so i've always been puzzled by the title of this movie and i've always been slightly curious to see it even though it was horrendously reviewed when it came out and i think i remember actively being grateful that i no longer professionally reviewed movies so that i didn't <laughs> have to see it aliens are a phobia so. to see it <laughs> however many obligated. years after the fact you're like oedipus man you can't run from your fate and if you want to know what they left on the moon in the previous mission, I, I watched the documentary recently. Like, there, there's literally, like, sealed bags of, like, poop and piss and food up there because they wanted to see how 
bacteria would behave on the moon. And I don't know if any of it's been collected and analyzed yet, but I hope there's more than poop and piss and fast food on the moon. I hope there's aliens. Fingers crossed. You know what? I have a a very relevant confession to make that's going to break Chris. I'm ready. ready. I'm ready to be broken. I've never seen Apollo 13. What? A wow. movie that you reference like at least every other episode. We should do a double feature. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely going to watch it before next episode. And then we can talk exclusively about that Wait, instead of Apollo we, 18. We should, we should, we should, we should, we should sit do down like 20 should, minutes on Apollo 13 and then do Apollo 18. Sure. I mean, we should just do the whole series from Apollo through <laughs> Apollo 18. <laughs> Get the box set. Why, and why? Wrap, wrap it up with Apollo Endgame. <laughs> why would Apollo 13 be the last Apollo mission? Why? Like, why would a mission that went horribly wrong and almost killed three people out in the vacuum of space cause them to end the end the, the missions? Honestly, I, I didn't even know that. Oh. I, I, you, don't, you don't even know what, Apollo th- what happened to Apollo 13? I guess, oh, oh, so Apollo 11 was the successful moon That landing, was Neil right? Armstrong. That okay, was okay. one small step for man. Yeah, that's, what that's where the poop and the piss came from. Apollo 13 was supposed to go to the moon, but did not get there. I think Apollo 12 went to the moon, and I think they did a, spa- a moonwalk oh. on Apollo 12. Then Apollo 13, they were going to do a moonwalk, but you'll find out when you watch the movie, uh, they didn't make it to the moon's surface, and they 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 made it back. Well, like, uh, all right, I can't tell you if they made it back or not. Wait, so did <laughs> Apollo 14 through 17 all go to the moon? Yes, I think so. Huh, okay. Yeah, there's been a lot of people who walked on the moon interesting yeah all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna come into next episode armed not only with having seen apollo 13 but also with all kinds of moon facts it's gonna be like shark facts back in the early days of amon i can't wait all right well cool that sounds like a plan uh see y'all then in the meantime like i said you can find us online send us a note tell us what your favorite moon mission was and uh (laughs) otherwise we'll be here in two weeks to talk about apollo 18 and maybe apollo 13 uh see you then for every horror movie on netflix i'm chris i'm patrick i'm steven free britney